Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. What's up, everyone? It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're joined by Vivian McPeak of Seattle's Hemp Fest. We're going to get a little news update from him. So let's just get in right into it. Hey, Miggy, Vivian, and Tom, what's going on? Happy Sunday. Happy, Happy Sunday, Sunday, Lauren. Thanks for joining us, Vivian. Um, Hemp Fest is like the OG of Cannabis Fest when it comes to the industry, uh, as far as I'm aware. I mean, how long have you been organizing Hemp Fest? Uh, this is our 29th year and my 29th year with the group. Man, 29 years of Hemp See these white hairs, man? They're from Hemp Fest. <laughs> right. And then Hemp Fest, you guys, uh, it's, uh, it's a core nonprofit, right? So we're, I mean, we're a 501c4 federal nonprofit uh, at the moment. And we're in the, in the middle of transitioning to a C3 for, uh, as an act of survival. What does the C3 apply? What does that do? Tax-free. So as, 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 uh, as a C4, we're a federal nonprofit. We can do a, quite a bit of political lobbying, but if you make a contribution to us, it's not tax deductible. And if you're a C3, um, that is more of a charitable organization, more of an educational organization, and you can do only about 20% as much lobbying, but large contributions are tax deductible. Wow. Um, so that's kind of the difference there. That's, that's, that's the, like the boilerplate nutshell difference. Yeah, but think about it, you know, then the uh, companies may be more likely to give companies and individuals. And that was beautiful. Like uh, Miggy and I had never met each other uh, except for the uh, the Internet, you know, going back uh, 10 years ago when he bought or the weed blog bought reviewed a copy of the book that I wrote. And then we started doing um, uh, Facebook posts and, and stuff. But then we uh, just kind of started doing this uh, on a whim. I just asked him to like, hey, you want to start a podcast with me, don't you? It's like, yeah. All right. Well, it, it, it worked. I mean, that that episode that we dropped yesterday, and if you guys are just tuning in, hopefully you checked it out. We do a news summary now every month, and that news summary is just taken off. I mean, it's over like 500 views in 24 hours. But that, then what we also like to do is talk about specific things in the industry. And so like I, I got to go to HempFest last year because it was working and I was actually starting to like be able to become more of a cannabis lawyer. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. It's like a lifelong dream. Uh, and then I could not believe uh, how cool HempFest was as somebody from Illinois who had just seen like a couple months before the governor sign into law. And it's like, wow, this, this could be coming to Illinois and then going out to Seattle. And there was like, 100,000 people there, all sorts of booths, all sorts of people smoking, no alcohol, having a great time. Uh, and the thing that I really remember the most, besides Henry doing the paintings, uh, was you guys have like a a Frisbee square? Like, what is the it's thing that was... Yeah, right. Okay, well, tell me about the Frisbee tournament. Well, you know, uh, when you're doing something as large as Hempfest, you get approached by all kinds of folks. And we had these folks that are the Frisbee champions of uh, the Pacific Northwest say, hey, man, we'd like to do a, 
a little Frisbee demo thing at your event. And we're like, well, how much space is it going to take? And, you know, is there a way to make sure that we don't hit anybody in the head with a Frisbee and stuff? Um, and so we said, well, I'll tell you what, in, in, during these hours, we're kind of not at maximum saturation with attendance and we will rope off this area in front of the main stage and let you guys do your thing for a little while. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of just a fun thing uh, for people to watch because, you know, when you're baked, uh, it's nice to sit and kind of watch cool things go on, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and it was, like, it was a little behind the stage. And so, like, the stage would be up there and there'd be activists speaking or people uh, playing music. And then, like, behind the stage, like, there's a walkway and then there's this Frisbee square. And those guys were, like, badasses. They were, like, doing all sorts of tricks and stuff. And I'm like, dude, am I, like, really high? Or, they were uh, baked. They <laughs> were baked, baked, too. I happen to know because yeah. they came backstage and got baked. Nice. Oh, yeah. Tell us what was backstage. This was really cool. Last year at Hempfest, backstage, what did you have set up? Well, first of all, there's multiple stages, right? So there's a lot of different backstages. Um, at, at the main stage, um, we, we, it's funny because we don't really have the, the same degree of ambiance behind main stage as some of the other stages do because they have more time, energy, and focus to put into it. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got a trailer, which is kind of, you know, a little operation center and a, mostly a place for bands and, and, and speakers to store their um, possessions while they're speaking and us to put tools and shit like that or stuff like that. And, um, and then we have a hospitality tent where there's food being produced, you know, a kitchen back there, food being produced in real time for yeah. our speakers mostly um, and some of the staff members back there. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's a pretty cool scene. Of course we have, you know, some, some porta potties back there and stuff like that. Um, well, but, funny you mentioned the food though, because I was thinking on the way here as I was getting excited to talk to you and, and, and to preach the word of Hempfest though, but you know, as a volunteer and also as a, an attendee, um, I can't say the food's always great, whether it be the volunteer, uh, kitchen that's in the, the little back or the, uh, uh, for the attendees, you know, it's always a, a treat and you guys are always uh, um, hosting, whether it be for the for the uh, the volunteers or people who are coming from out of state like Tom did. I mean, it's always a treat for me. Well, you got to make sure that you can, uh, you know, treat an emergency case of the munchies that might came up, come up. You know, you want to treat that in advance. It's a yeah. matter of, of prevention, you know. Yeah, and like from my recollection of the high times backstage little area, uh, that the munchies may have come up more often after you had visited the uh, the dab uh, desk. Or I'm not sure if it was a desk or, or booth or dab something. Bar, the dab right. bar. Oh my gosh, that is literally that is something that would be so cool. And maybe like Hempfest can continue to lead uh, the way in in. Uh, public consumption is coming. I don't know when it's going to be here, but it's coming. And a dab bar is freaking cool. And like a cannabis bar would be freaking cool. Just like when you walk into a wine bar or a whiskey bar and there's all those different types of wine or whiskey back there, a dab bar would be very similar, but you know, more like a whiskey bar, like, cause you're literally doing the, the shots of weed as opposed to like wine, which might be more of a joint or something. Uh, but the, the, the diversity of flavors and the diversity of products and the diversity of producers and farmers. It's uh, it really lends itself to a craft experience that would be fantastic. And so hopefully uh, social use will continue. And like the social use that I, I first experienced was last year's hemp fest, where you're just hanging out next to the cops and everybody's yeah. smoking weed and it's yeah. cool. You know, Tom, one thing I want to point out is that at Seattle Hemp Fest, we've had 28 successful events. We average 100,000 people at the event. And in 28 years, we've never had a single injury, accident or uh, arrest at the event. Uh, serious, nothing serious. You know, we've had some, you know, a broken arm one time from somebody fell off the stage. Well, you have like a whole city. It's 100,000 people. That's yeah. 100,000 people not paying attention to where they're going, tripping over their shoelaces, stuff like that. You know, just, just normal people getting hurt. And, and what it shows, though, is that the cannabis community can come together year after year after year, and there's no problem. You know, we rarely have a fight at the event. Um, you get 100,000 people drinking alcohol. If that was like, you know, beer fest or something like that, There'd be issues, uh, yeah. certainly if it was, you know. Think about the public fest. restroom issues Netflix that you would have. People everywhere. Um, and so, oh, man. And, you know, and the other thing that I want to point out is that we have a 700-person volunteer staff. Mm. We're on site for 10 days. We're building the event. We build the stages ourselves, the big scaffolding and all of it. Um, 
you place everything, operate for three days, tear it down, clean it up, pack it out. And that's all with volunteers. Yeah. And so if cannabis, you know, uh, cannabis demotivates you, um, <laughs> then we must be the most motivated cannabis users in the world. Um, and we're able to pull it off. And that says that that the myth, the mythology that the government and the anti-pot people have been spreading is lies. Yeah, pure you know? and simple. Yeah. And then the lies, though, it's amazing. It's like something, uh, well, it's, it's it's expected. And so, like, as you travel more outside of, like, if if the safe spot is Hempfest and Seattle, where, like, you literally are exposing people to 100,000 people coming together for this thing, everything's safe, people come to accept it and, and realize that what they have been told are lies about cannabis. But then you get into the South. Or, or you get into like rural Illinois or uh, Tennessee uh, and, and various places like that, um, those lies are still widespread and believed. Yeah. And so, I mean, more people need to go to Hempfest to help those lies come down. And so like when we're talking on the show and we're interviewing a guest or something and they might be from a different state, we were talking about how one lawmaker from Tennessee had gotten caught, uh, you know, with his mileage for his uh, his public car uh, driving to an Illinois dispensary, which is great. You know, people need to go to, to Illinois or to um, uh, Hempfest to see how safe it can be and how public it can be and how accepted cannabis use should be. But man, I can't believe you have like 700 people that help you put this together. How, how long, how have you kept them all together for, for 28, 29 years? Well, you just kind of nailed on one of the most challenging aspects of producing Seattle Hemp Fest. Um, and that is just managing uh, the volunteer base and, and, you know, keeping people coming in and out when you got to fill 700 shirts um, and people need to be trained and kind of know what they're doing, at least most of them, or at least a good portion of them. Um, it's it's really a grueling nonstop, you know, 365 day a, a year, uh, day, day yeah. a year job. Um, we've got over 100 crews at Hempfest. Like I said, we're on there, for, we're there for 10 days. We've got people, you know, working 24 hours a day. We have night security and people at, at, at the operations booth all night long in case something happens. Um, it's, it's 1.3 mile long event site right down on the beautiful waterfront, uh, of, of the Puget Sound under the Space Needle. Um, What's the name of the park? Cause I remember it's, it's actually three areas that are all conjoined. It's the Olympic Sculpture Park, Myrtle Edwards Park and Centennial Park. Um, and all three of them have different hosts or different organizations or, or agencies that manage them. So that's three separate use permits that we have to negotiate. They all have three separate pet peeves and well that's and another thing i like to point out is it's not just the 10 people and the 700 people volunteering for 10 days it's all year you guys are negotiating contracts permits yes. uh, uh trying to meet the negotiation because not only do you pay for the sanitation crews to come in but those volunteers beforehand are cleaning things up ahead of time and making sure you know statues aren't messed with uh, making sure landmarks are, are, are protected. Uh, we actually protect, yes, we, we, yeah. we wrap all the signs in, in uh, visqueen and in, in pallet wrap. We wrap art installations, which are outside of the event where people are lining up to protect those against graffiti. We've actually paid as much as $12,000 uh, per year in graffiti and sticker removal um, because they, they, they charge us. They make, you know, it's union in one of the parks, they, they won't let us take the stuff down. So mm. we, we created this ingenious way of protecting all the stuff. Um, yeah. And they said, well, you got to still be able to see the signs. So okay, we'll do clear pallet wrap around it, right? Um, no, it's a tremendous amount of work. We do spend all year in permit meetings with the special events committee of the Seattle uh, city of Seattle with about 15 different agencies. And they all have to sign off on every single of our hundreds of pages of plans. We have a security plan a parking plan, a lost child plan, a medical plan. It's like uh, you have your own cannabis license. I mean, like these are the things that go, when you're applying to get your cannabis business permit, you're going through like very much many of the same things to be able to pull off this amazing social use. What I'm showing you right now is the badge from our safety patrol. Uh, we have a trained, that's my... Uh, my badge. We have a trained uh, safety patrol of 100 people, which are trained in conflict resolution and uh, nonviolent uh, confrontation and our policies and stuff like that. 
And the reason that you see Seattle Hemp Fest happening, the reason that, that you see what I believe is not happening really anywhere else in the world on the same degree that it's happening in the Hemp Fest, um, and certainly in the same numbers, is because you know we're a safety first, socially responsible uh, organization, and we have somehow by some kind of shamanic, uh, shamanic um, uh, mind melt, you know, uh, have been able to figure out a way to convince the uh, authorities that we've got this, we have it handled. And yeah. after 28 years of working with the Seattle police, directly working with them during the planning stages and the event, they're like, wow, these guys have it wired. We can, we can hang out outside of the event with their radio in our little command station while we're having a barbecue. And if they need us, they'll let us know. And we will be there in a heartbeat. Yeah. And that's what we've been. And I don't think anybody else in the world, any other stoners have been able to create something like that. And it has not been easy. And it's because we are sincere and we're committed. We're the real deal. There's no, no big grow operation. There's no big, like, you know, bullshit behind it um, that we're trying to hide. We have literally have to raise $700,000 every year to throw the event. Wow. Um, and it's a free event. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, man, all this stuff money because we're constitutionally protected free speech events. So if we charge a dollar, then now it's a commercial event. and They're not going to give us a permit because they don't want to necessarily give us a permit. They have to because it's it's a political free speech rally. And there's only two reasons they can deny you a permit for free speech. There's There's only two ways that they can deny you. One is public safety. And we have managed to create the thing all these years and nothing's ever gone wrong or they wouldn't give us a permit. The other thing they can do is price you out of existence. That's the only two angles that they have, right? They can say, well, you can have the event. You just got to do this. You got to do that. You got to provide this. And that's what they've done. And we've been able to, every time they say jump, you know, we say how high and we hurdle over it. And it's not been easy. Yeah. But this year we're looking at an existential threat. Oh, Um, gosh. Yeah. That the organization might not survive to our 30th anniversary. And, And hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about what we're doing about yeah. that, what our plans are this year to transition the mission to survive and how people can help us. I'm, yeah. What yeah. are you going to be doing? I mean, because uh, it, it, it's been, it's August 2nd. So like about a year ago, I flew out there. So it's it's typically what, August 18th, somewhere in that, that weekend? It's the or? third week in August uh, every year annually. And this, that would be the, the 14th, 15th and 16th this year. Um, you mm. know, I mean, I don't think I have to tell anybody that. There's no large events with 100,000 people. Yeah. We are, right it's especially, 50 in Illinois. 50. What is, what's the limit in, people, uh, in Seattle? Especially a bunch of people Ten. sharing pipes and joints from mouth to mouth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is an aspect of HempFest that you don't have at 99% of the other events in the world. Right. Um, yeah. Which means that it would be a catastrophic disaster uh, right now if we had HempFest in its traditional form. Um you know, when when the 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 COVID-19 pandemic showed up in about February of this year, we're like, well, man, we're in August. Right. So no problem. I mean, how long could something like this last? Right? It's going to be over in no time. Right. And then a couple months went by and we're like, God damn, man, this thing seems like serious, you know. And then a few more months went by and we're like, oh, my God, this isn't good. Yeah. I don't think we can have the event. How can we have this event safely? Number one, number two, are they going to even give us a permit? So we started approaching the city and saying, look, you got to give us some direction. You know, we're, we're accepting vendor money and stuff and we've been operating for months here. And are you going to give us a permit in August? You know, a special event permit. We haven't got our preliminary permit like we usually do by now. What's the deal? Yeah. The city wouldn't tell us anything. Like, well, you know, we are going to defer to the governor's office. But I don't think they knew. I don't think they knew. I don't think they knew, number one. And number two, they didn't want to be the people to stop, to shut down all these businesses, all these events, right? right. They were trying to figure it out, too. What the hell do we do, right? I don't think they wanted the liability of shutting down millions of dollars of revenue. (laughs) And so we're like, well, you know, we, we had a lot of internal discussions, you know, what do we do here? You know, how do we do this? What's the ethical thing to do? What's the, the practical thing to do? We don't know what's going to happen. So we decided, well, if we don't have a decision by June from the city and the state, then we're just going to have to call it. Right. And so June rolled around and, and it was about July 1st. And, and so anyway, mid June, we're like, well, the event's not happening in the park. Um, 
we, we don't see a way that we can safely produce this event and, and we're not sure if we're going to get a permit. And then by July, the city finally said we're not processing any special event permits through September. Just last week, they came out and said we're not processing any through December. Yeah. Um, so there's there's going to be no special events in Seattle this year. Wow. We're yeah. not sure about next year. Um, let me just say that plunged Hempfest $120,000 in debt. Wow. We have zero revenue coming in right now. Zero revenue. Um, we're defaulted on our store and offices, which have been closed for months. Damn. Uh, in, in and there's no way you can get PPP money, right? We applied for all of those grants. And it, because we were a C4, not a C3 oh, nonprofit, shit. we didn't qualify. Um, and, and let me just reiterate, we're transitioning right now. In fact, when I get done, I just sent some sample bylaws to our attorney. 10 minutes before this to review uh, um, because we need to fundraise to survive. Yeah. It, it, you guys are important. I just need to, to point out to the world why you guys are so important. Cause you know, this, this uh, evil beatdown by the police that happened at Seattle Hempfest is the kind of shit that happens all the time is it shows the relations can always happen. Good relations can happen with the police. Uh, you know, that, that's not, I've always um, taken away from Seattle Hempfest is, you know, I didn't have to fear the cops. I didn't have to have this onerous. It just shows that we can get along. You know, it shows us human beings we're we're respectable, and 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 that's what Hempfest has created this this safe space. And you guys are so necessary. You know, everybody needs to to donate. Go to your store, right? We can still go to your store and make purchases. Why don't you Hempfest just why? But like for the donate, why don't you just throw it up online and do an event and just you know uh, save our hemp fest type of thing? You know, raise some money. Mention that, Tom. You know? It's funny you should bring that up. Um, we are doing uh, well. First of all, on August fifteenth, which is our traditional uh, date, Saturday, this August fifteenth, we're going to be in the parks, socially distanced, cleaning. Uh, Myrtle Edwards and Centennial Park, which is we normally would clean the parks before the event every day, all night during the event. And then we clean up every cigarette butt. We we sanitize that 1.3 mile place, pick up every stitch of trash, every cigarette butt, walk through the rocks, pull all the broken glass out, everything and leave it pristine when we leave, because that's the way you do it. Leave no trace. It's a responsible way to do things. So we're, we're inviting people to come down and help us clean the park from one to five on Saturday. Nice. On Sunday, we're doing a, uh, a four hour one to five uh, reveal, a kind of a, uh, a preview uh, online at hempfest.org, uh, a, a live preview of the October 10th and 11th Global Hemp Fest live stream event that we have planned. Cool. We are going to transition the mission uh, to try to keep the, 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 the fire burning. Um, because, um, you know, we, we got to keep the messaging going. There's this idea we hear from people. Oh, hemp fest. Is that still going on? Isn't it legal? Yes. And I bristle at that. That really pisses me off because no, it's not legal. Walk into Idaho five steps, light up a joint. Tell me how legal it is. There's 40 people serving life in prison for cannabis. There's tens of thousands of people in prisons and jails for cannabis right now. Somebody's being pulled over right now in some state. Well, like, what if you have like more than an ounce? What's the limit in uh, in Washington State? Like, you can have too much, and then it's a crime again. Well, it's a felony if you have over an ounce. Actually, um, it, it it we we don't even have home grow here. We have made tremendous progress, absolutely. But we're not done. You know, it's like, excuse me, I didn't get the memo. Did they let everybody out of prison? You know, it's legal. Yeah, yeah. It's not legal. Lance Glor's free. No, awesome always not. I go to the store and buy an ounce of weed. That is great. But we're not done. Nope. So anyway. We are, and so you know, we're, we're trying to make it to our 30th anniversary for one. Yeah. Uh, number two, you know, I would like, to, I don't have a lot of rodeos left in me. You know, this old cowboy doesn't have a lot of rodeos left. I've been doing this for almost 30 years and I'm getting older and I've got health issues and stuff. I would like to see a bunch of young people, a bunch of racially diverse, gender diverse young people, you know, take over Seattle Hemp Fest for us. Do you have some SOPs for them? Because it sounds like it's a huge thing. So like, but you've been doing it for so many years. So like, is, are there like SOPs for hemp fest that we could copyright and then sell to other States and be like, here you go. This is how you would go about doing it. Right. Well, because like your license, SOPs would be like 500 pages long. Tom, we've, we've licensed the event. Uh, the, the, we have a trademark on the word hemp fest and we have licensed it to, we have an Alaska hemp fest and a Oregon hemp fest. Um, there, there's there's several hemp fests over the country that we're we're helping 
um, you know, we're, we're giving them uh, support, you know, media support and permit uh, legal advice and stuff like that. Um, and so what, what we're doing this year is is on October 10th and 11th from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. We're doing a global online hemp fest. The theme is the green renaissance. And what that means is we're calling it a 2020 vision of a post-COVID future. And what that means is cannabis as a catalyst in reimagining a just, healthy, sustainable global society based on uh, on public health, social justice, environmental preservation. Yeah. Uh, this this pandemic has exposed glaring structural deficiencies that are compromising the current economic and environmental health and sustainability of humanity. And with this online HIPAA, we're going to present an overview of the role that cannabis can play in a post-pandemic reset to aid humanity in forging a path to a more viable and sustainable future. And what does that mean? Well, some of the uh, panel topics that we have is green energy, and that's hemp biomass, biogas, hemp ethanol. Believe it or not, hemp carbon nanomaterial for high-powered supercapacitors because hemp fiber battery storage is uh, uh, reported to be better than graphene. Mm. Green economy, what does that mean? That's the CBD and hemp industry, medical cannabis, cannabis and banking, environmental best practices, green construction, a really important one for sustainability. And that's hempcrete. You know, hemp concrete is just lime and, and hemp uh, fiber, and it's completely non-toxic. It is actually, not only is it carbon neutral, it's carbon negative. It sucks carbon out of the air for 10 to 20 years as the lime hardens in the cement. Um, it alkalinizes the air. When they put uh, senior citizens in hemp uh, Crete homes, they tend to live eight to 10 years longer because it alkalinizes the air and uh, illness uh, creates an acidic environment. Um, what is green construction? Hemp fiberboard, um, which of course is a part of um, carbon sequestration because it preserves trees. Hemp as thermal insulation, hemp as vapor barriers yes. construction. Green agriculture, and that's hemp foods and cooking and CBD and decentralization, nice. cannabis permaculture, uh, uh, cannabis for soil and heavy metal remediation because it's the number one natural remediator of, of heavy metals and radiation out of the, out of the, the ground. Um, uh, agrihoods, right? Green regenerative agrihoods, things like that. Um, green justice, and that's the continued racial and gender equity, of course, the Black Lives Movement, stop and frisk, disproportionate racial incarnation, incarceration, continued cannabis reform. And those are things like prisoner advocacy and criminal justice reform, record expungement, reassistance, or reentry assistance and training for people getting out of prisons, nice. green medicine, which is cannabinoids in the endocannabinoid system, and ter terpenes, the entourage effect. Yes. People need to know that better. Uh, it goes on and on. You know, the catalog, though, nice. Yeah, and that's course, I love podcasts, magazines, and websites. So these are all the ways that cannabis is a vital component to this kind of post-COVID reset because we can't go back to the normal that created donald trump and, right and, yeah. uh, uh you know the, the racial inequalities for the bl that the bl movement is is uh fighting and, and all that pollution that just kind of cleared up after everybody was told to go home and not fly anywhere or do anything and it just right. kind of was like gone yeah I and mean, we got climate change coming we can't go back to normal this is our opportunity we see now yeah. Now, look, we could have done all this stuff a long time ago. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, we need to do things differently or we're all going to die or our grandkids are going to live in a world where they might survive, but they won't have quality of life. It won't be worth living there. Yeah. All those lies from like the 1930s about marijuana, they set us back decades. We could have yeah. been so much further and cleaner than we are right now and healthier as a society. Well, but I love that aspect of uh, of Hempfest that I, I it just it was because you said it was a uh, it's a First Amendment political rally and it's a free speech thing, and you guys have tents where you have symposiums and panel discussions and so like no it's not like Lollapalooza everybody you don't just go there smoke weed and like there's somebody partying there's like a tattoo tent there <laughs> there may be a tattoo tent I'm not sure but no there's like literally symposiums and so like you would go and they're they're debating uh, types of policy that need to be done or explaining an aspect of all the plant how day. it's all day every day it's it's great and so like that was one of the things cuz we have a, a a cannabis event here in Peoria called like Cannabis Camp 
of course, canceled this this year as well. But it didn't have that necessarily aspect. It just had more booths. I'm like, you know, it'd be great if we had more of that Hempfest aspect where it's this symposium where you're you have a panel discussion and people discussing aspects of it. But the the cannabis industry is similar to Hempfest in that sense where they have this this panel discussions and it's and it's an event. Like there's just been no events in cannabis this whole year. So those people like at, at MJ BizCon and all those other ones, there was just a cavalcade and it was it was kind of like a traveling circus as the cannabis industry. That's just all stopped. And so um, here in Illinois, we're still waiting for like legal you know, uh, winners to, to open up our industry. So it's not just the monopoly of the biggest players that are just raking it in right now. And the uh, what you have with Hempfest is is fantastic in the sense that it, it provides that advocacy aspect of it, and that's why we wanted to have you on on our Sunday advocacy program. But um, how are you we going to be able to access? Because it sounds like you're going to have events, and it's going to be a lot of speakers. How do we access this uh, online Hempfest this year? Well, Tom, we're going to have um, panel discussions like we normally do uh, all day, uh, both days. Uh, on all these topics and more. And then we're going to have keynote speakers. We've got Julie Chiarello from Skunk Magazine and Green Renaissance was something that she actually uh, came up with uh, about a year and a half ago as a as an, as a answer to the green rush, as an yeah. alternative to the green rush idea, right? But I could get into that, but, but I won't right now. Um, and we will have actually live music performances. We have a band from Chile, a band from uh, Japan, and a band from oh, Russia man. lined up already. Um, uh, and uh, the cool thing about a live stream event, you know, we're like, okay, you know, we've been given a, a freight train of lemons. How do we make lemonade out of this? You know, what's the what's the upside of, of being forced to do a live event? And you can't recreate 100,000 people on the waterfront, man, listening to bands and stuff. There's just no way to try to do that online. So we're like, well, at an online event, at the at the actual event, if you want to bring a band or a speaker in, they got to fly in or drive in somehow. They got to stay somewhere. They got to eat. They got to take a day or two out of their schedule. Well, everybody's got Zoom together now. A speaker can just Zoom in for an hour like I'm doing right now. Yeah. Which means theoretically, we can get people from anywhere, people we normally could have never yeah. gotten, right? Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Um, and uh, and so and the other thing is it's only 100,000 people can come to the physical hemp fest because you oh, only yeah. have so much room. Um, anybody in the world can come to a live stream event. So Theoretically, you can make a global event. Um, so that's why we're going uh, 12 hours so that we can repeat the whole thing for the next 12 hours. And then anybody in the world in their time zone can watch it. Um, so we are actually having to build a different uh, web uh, platform for this. It, first of all, it's a lot more complicated than we ever dreamed. It's an entirely different world yeah. than an online event. It's, it's actually really complex. Um, and, we, and we don't really know what we're doing. So we're working with some folks in Oakland uh, that, you know, through our Hempfest family connections that we had, people that do live stream events. Right. Um, and they are, you know, they're, 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 they're culture and industry people. They they understand their brothers and sisters. They get it. You know, they're brethren. They believe uh, in the message. They know. Yeah, they're they're right with us. They, they're, they're, There's they're a lot of people right just with. believe in the money. And I'm like, ah, exactly. got to watch out for that guy. Yeah. Exactly. That's the green rush, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the green renaissance is, is the alternative to um, so we're building a new platform. It's going to be at hempfestonline.org. But mm -hmm. our reveal that we're doing, our little sneak peek discussion about it and presentation on August 16th this year is going to be at hempfest.org, our normal website. Cool. Um, but on August, or excuse me, on October 10th and 11th, on 10-10-2020, 10-10-2020 and 10-11-2020, uh, it's going to be at hempfestonline.org. Um, Word. We need to keep this organization alive so that we can continue to do this advocacy and educate the public um, and, and get the word out that cannabis is about so much more than just getting high. I mean, yeah, getting yeah. high is a good thing, and it's important that anybody that wants to, it's not for everybody, yeah. but it's important that everybody that wants to has the opportunity. Um, but it's really about an, an entire alternative paradigm of of possibilities and potential to save humanity and to make this a world which is more just and equitable and sustainable and regenerative you know and all those things and we see this blm movement the black lives matter movement which is a tremendous awakening a global you know tsunami of awareness of, yeah. of structural 
injustices and structural uh, outrages, which we need to turn around. It's a great opportunity and it's, it's, it's energizing the entire movement. Millennials are the largest generation in the history of the world. There's never been a generation as populous as millennials. Oh, wow. and, they, and they're waking up, man. They kind of get it and they're fighting for their future. Yeah. You know, we, we don't have much, much, many more generations to turn this around. There won't be a future for humanity. Um, and the cool thing is, who would believe that the pot plant can actually play a role in almost every aspect of humanity in giving us regenerative, oh. sustainable alternatives? Jack Viv, Viv, I would say Viv knows who would who would believe yeah. that because Jack was on his stage. He would, he, would, he, would not, he wouldn't shut up about it. He'd be like Jack, I get it. Just, just okay, yeah, but Viv, then he would keep going. You know, yeah. that man. We're one degree from Jack Hare. I'm just saying. Yep. 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 Yeah, and then, uh, not just Jack Woody Harrelson was on stage. I mean, he's had a lot. Well, of I just I mean, think about like how how successful we've been over the past eighteen months. And like, I'm just a farm boy from Peoria, Illinois, like a backwater attorney. And there he is. There's the man, Jack Hare. Terror, like terror. There's Jack oh, taking oil. some hemp nice. oil backstage in the main stage. Hey, Vivian, uh, is that from your book? This is my book, Protestable: Twenty Year Perspective yeah. of Seattle Hemp Fest. You can get that on Amazon, by the way. Uh, that twenty-year perspective. Got a, a full-length DVD of our tenth anniversary uh, yep. uh, documentary in the back with Woody Harrelson and stuff. And uh, nice. Yeah, it's been a great twenty-nine-year journey to justice. We've had Dennis Kucinich and Jill Stein and uh, Gary Johnson. Um, well, I think Christina you're gonna just about to reach out so many more people. I mean, like that's really it's like I said, like you know, I'm just a poor farm boy from Peoria. And because I was able to go online and, and you're able to reach a huge audience. And so that how there's probably been millions of people that have gone to hemp fest at a hundred thousand dollars over the years. And then those millions of people have told other people and you gave it to them all for free. And so they had that experience that's so much. And so they should have like a lot of built up goodwill toward the event and then toward his message. And so they should really be ready to, on 10, 10, 20, 20, be able to support HempFest taking this 30 year, man. The answer will be getting the word out. We, we, we actually have a, a, a crowdfunding uh, campaign that we're going to launch. You know, we, we need to raise 120. We need to pay back these people that paid us money. Yeah. And the, the, the HempFest model, uh, like most or many festivals anyway, is that January would roll around. And we would collect returning vendor money from our annual vendors that want to come back and, and preserve their space. So nobody else gets their space. Maybe they got booth 420 or booth 533. Yeah. We have over 350 vendors at HempFest on that yeah. mile and a half uh, uh, expanse. And so they would pay money and reserve their space for the year, right, in January. And that's the money that we would use to operate the seed capital until about June or July when the real vending sponsor money come through. And then... Then all, then another like 600,000 bucks would come in and then we would, uh, they would all get their value in August, right? That they paid yeah. for. Well, this January rolled around. We took their, you know, we literally were down to almost nothing uh, because the state passed a law about five years ago, banning cannabis businesses from advertising at events like Hemp Fest. Yeah. And that cost Which us is terrible. I mean, like, how come that's not a First Amendment challenge right there? It's like, well, hey. Because we're in court right now suing the state of Washington uh, and we're, we're going, moving into appellate court, right? We just won a lawsuit against the city going the, after our members. Uh, on, on the Flintstones. Um, yeah. Flintstones. But, they would have cigarettes. They were advertising cigarettes yes. on the Flintstones in the '60s. You and, cannot and advertise cannabis and alcohol. Yeah, I go to Fremont T today, Seattle, the Budweiser Red Hook stage with big yeah. bottles of Red Hook, and they have a yeah. they have a, a beer garden right across with kids watching people drink beer. Uh, but, but but anyway, really quickly. So we brought in one hundred twenty thousand dollars of returning vendor money in January. Everything's great. No functioning as usual paying the rent on our store, paying our, our tiny little three-person staff and, um, you know, paying all the storage fees we have for all this equipment. I mean, all the, the expenses yeah. that we have. Right. Um, and then months roll by and then it was by June. We're like, oh, shit, we can't have the event. We had already spent more money. We already spent over half of that money. Yeah. Uh, and to pay people back. And our lawyers are like, well, you can't pay anybody back unless you can pay everybody back. And we're like, well, what do you mean? They go, well, you can't be the ones to figure out who gets paid, who doesn't, how much people get paid, because that's a form of fraud. It could be maybe you or your brother or your friend uh, or something uh, is in on this. 
And so it has to be either a, an adjustment attorney or a, a bankruptcy attorney or what have you, or you yeah. need to come to some agreement with these people that you'll either, you know, give them the value next year, give them alternative value and stuff. So, hmm. so we got to pay these people back. Yeah. Um, number one, because we got to pay these people back because that's the ethical way to do. And HempFest has been ethical uh, its entire existence. We've never defaulted on a payment to anybody in the history of the event, 30 years almost. Um, number one, number two, if we can't pay everybody back, we won't be, a, won't have an event also. Yeah. Right. Um, and number three, we won't have any returning vendor money in January. If we've already got the returning vendor money, then we have no money to operate until the event, right? Uh, the next year. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. We're in a, in a, in a fight, an existential fight for the very survival of the event. Yeah. Um, it's the most stressful along with everybody else in the world. Um, you know, I mean, we're not alone. This pain is being shared. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor it's not like, oh, poor us. I mean, my God, uh, you know, there's 40 it, million people in America, 40 million people looking at eviction in this country right yeah. now. And unemployment right? benefits that are just changing today. Like next, tomorrow's Monday. And that that money that they thought was coming that had been coming for the past three months isn't isn't coming anymore. Congress this, hasn't this done it. Yeah. We have the worst leadership we've ever had. It's a global crisis. And we don't know when this is going to end. We're no. having a second surge of the first surge right now. We're, we're not even yeah. in phase. We're not so, even done with the first. Yeah. And we're looking at close to 160,000 people dying. Um, this thing's tremendously contagious and, and yeah. people are getting, they're getting COVID um, uh, uh, um, fatigue. Yeah. Right? Fatigue. So, so we're really looking at some challenges here. Um, hey, Vivian, so, has, uh, have you guys thought about maybe uh, with your upcoming event, throwing in the sponsorship package with those vendors that you owe, like say we, we, yeah. we missed Hempfest. Cause I mean, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They should work um, with you. The, I think the challenge though, Miggy is that, if you've got a website and you sell stuff online, that might work. If you're a food vendor uh, and you got a bunch of food booths at Hempfest, right? You can't sell food online. Yeah. Right? You can't sell hamburgers online, you know. Those um, poor people, because like, think about it. It wasn't just yeah. Hempfest. Yeah. Yeah. Shut down on them. Know, this is a crisis. It keeps yeah. me up at night. God I'm damn. sweating. So sorry, know? dude. Yeah, uh, no, man, it's 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 everything. The rug pulled under them as well. No, it's the worst nightmare of my life of, of we've ever experienced, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, oh. and you know, a lot of those folks understand what's going on. They get it. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not hurting. Yeah. And some of them, of course, are like outraged. You know, what do you mean you don't have my money? You bastard, <laughs> right? Um right. and so no, it's it's I've spent a lot of time with attorneys in the last uh damn five months, man. You know, yeah, me too. Our like, board, as our board went from meeting once day. a month to meeting once a week to meeting twice a week on Zoom. Oh, shit. And we're weary. We're, we're beaten, you know. We're, yeah. We're, we're, we're hurting, man. But it is what it is. And but think about that. That's comes to the territory, man. You got to rise to the occasion. You got to face the music. You got to deal with it every day. I yeah. think so. But I think it's also representative of all events. All event yeah. businesses are feeling this exact same thing. All event businesses. Well, I mean, think about it. How many restaurants in Seattle here will never be? They're gone. Yes. They're not coming back. How many mom and pop businesses? Amazon has crushed, you know, maybe, who knows, a million businesses maybe or something? Yeah. Like, you know? oh, so this is a challenge, but the cannabis community has been through a tremendous amount. We have a camaraderie. We've been attacked. We've been persecuted. We've been imprisoned. Uh, we've been disgraced. We've been scapegoated. You know, we've been yeah. uh, profiled. Um, and this is just one more, one more opportunity for us to come together as a community yeah. and show the world what we're made of, that we are a beautiful, you know, on a large part, spiritual, artistic, responsible, creative, global community that's a threat to nothing except a bag of potato chips or a bowl of ice cream. Oh, no, right? right? You're a threat to the largest thing, and that's why I think we've been marginalized. You're a threat to pharmaceuticals' bottom lines, timber companies' bottom lines, dairy companies' bottom lines. Just like, uh, let's see, most agriculture, petroleum. Big uh, agro, yeah, big energy. Big, agro, big energy. Oh, these oh, are all the things that we're going to talk about. That's all the things that the Green Renaissance addresses is that we're going to have the experts saying, this is how cannabis is the alternative to the, yes. the energy problems. This is how cannabis is the alternative, one of the alternatives to big agro. 
This is how cannabis is one of the alternatives to uh, unsustainable practices to uh, pharmaceutical medicine. Instead of being the first, uh, the first choice for intractable pain, cannabis should be uh, cannab- uh, uh, pharmaceutical should be the last choice. We've got an opioid epidemic with more people dying in two years than Vietnam because Seriously. they're just giving everybody these dangerous uh, narcotics. Uh, yes, exactly. It's, and they're making billions of dollars and killing people. Yeah. Cannabis isn't killing anybody, right? And so cannabis ought to be the first line of defense for intractable and chronic pain um, and a bunch of other you know, illnesses and diseases. As we Just the first people. option to take care of yourself, the wellness option. And it's not going to work for everybody. Fine. Yeah. Let those people move on in, in succession to the other more dangerous, more addictive pharmaceuticals, yeah. right? Yeah, but cut right out then, 80% of the... Right. You know, if it works for six out of 10 people, great. Right we now just, what they're doing, Tom, is they're giving people test. treatment plans. And when you've got to sign a contract that says that if you use cannabis, you will be denied your medical, your meds. In fact, you might even be denied your, your medic, medical assistance. It's or your health care payments. They'll be like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Or it's like insanity. anything. And yeah. the insurance, you know, if, you, yeah. if the insurance bullshit that they're doing on businesses saying you've got to P-test people. Uh, or, yep. or your insurance premiums are going to be sky high, right? All of it. It's all just a part of a concentrated, uh, deliberate. Uh, uh, like marginalize the, the cannabis consumer. It's a conspiracy a to rip us all off, right? right? Yeah. So that they can control these markets and have industry uh, market control. And, With and- shittier products, by the way, shittier products that were more likely to addict and kill you. And like, yeah. why is this made out of like wood? And, and, and when it could have been made out of hemp, you know, yeah, how can right. we had to do all that deforestation? How come I'm paying, pu- uh, putting uh, petroleum that we pump out of the ground from Saudi Arabia into my car as opposed and, to? And, and, and you know, the well. problem is I go to the pot shop today and what do I get? I get a single use plastic container for my weed. Why isn't it? Why isn't it hemp plastic, which is biodegradable? Why? Yes. Right? Because there's no money in it yet. They only legalized yeah. industrial hemp a year and a half ago. It you was. Know, I, I have a podcast as well, and I just interviewed the guy from Sa- Sauna Packaging. Yes, uh, great guy. Who's making biodegradable hemp dube tubes, biodegradable hemp containers, and stuff. So the technology is out there. You know, yes. we have to get the hemp processing plants built all over the country because we've got all this bulk hemp coming out, but they need to have the processing facilities. Um, but it's it's slowly happening. But we got to keep the message going. Absolutely. Keep the fire burning. And like, right. about it, like we're really only in year two of legal hemp, and so yeah. like for this is year two of legal hemp, we're doing just fine. If that schmuck in the White House hadn't have been there, uh, and if Hillary would have gone to Wisconsin once, but still, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, <laughs> there's an election in November, and so uh, it, I really have a lot of optimism for the industrial applications of the hemp plant, but because of the startup costs that are high. And, and right now the profits in CBD oil and then in CBG oil coming, that's fine. Allow those profits to be yeah. there. Get, get the crop insurance, crop futures. These types of things are coming. The, the capital will get there as the industry matures. And then you're going to have these types of industrial plants so they can start taking out plastic. Because when we had the Santa packaging guy on, he did mention how he had some some hardships in sourcing plastic material from cellulose in American hemp because it just wasn't as uh, established as Canadian or European hemp. Mm. So like I I'm optimistic, but I'm impatient, you know, and, and frustrated because yeah. we've been locked inside for the whole year. Well, it's funny. I got two vegans here and uh, there was a recall today about some meat that had some plastic in it. I can mean, imagine if there was hemp plastic, cause that'd be more di- biodegradable and less of a risk to the consumer. I mean, that's, I don't know. Yeah. And you know, when, the first year that we had Jack Hare come to Hempfest in 91, and, and I introduced him. I've always been the MC of the main stage. And he got up on stage. It's like, hemp can save the planet. Hemp is the answer to everything. Uh, and, and after the event, you know, we're getting high. And I'm like, God, Jack, you know, don't you think that was a little bit extreme? I mean, maybe if you toned it down just a little bit, it'd be more believable. And he goes, bullshit. Yeah. Hemp can save the planet. And it didn't take me long before I, I realized, my God, he's actually telling the truth. He was yeah. spot on, you know. Um, yeah. And man, I got some great stories I could share about Jack. Yeah, and I have a, a concentrate. I have a concentrated Jack, but I, I hear that the strain itself is a sativa dominant. And Jack, and you might be able to give us some firsthand perspective on this, was more of an indica man. Have you ever uh, smoked with Jack? What type of uh, preference oh. did he have? 
I, I smoked many times with Jack. Um, you know, uh, one time the herbivores, which is the house band hemp fest, yeah. uh, this is in, I think 94, they donated two pounds of pot for the magical, th uh, toss joint toss, which used to happen, Ooh. uh, for many years, for most of the years. Yes. And, uh, and so we're in, we're in my house in, in, in Wallingford at the time, and, and everybody's rolling joints as fast as they can. Jack, this is like the day before Hempfest. So we've got newspaper laid out on, on the, the, the floor. We've got these two pounds of weed. We've got everybody's got rollers, you know, on paper plates. We're rolling joints, and there's a knock on the door. And uh, the, I, was, I was in the group called the Seattle Peaceans at the time, and we produced this, this uh, uh, crisis guide, a, a physical crisis resource directory guide for homeless people and elderly people and, and, and you know, all the, all the above medical stuff. And uh, there's a knock at the door, you know, and everybody's blazing and the place is filling with smoke, like Cheech and Chong smoke. And I, I open the door and there's this guy there. He says, Hey, is this the PC then house? And he's wearing a marijuana narcotic shirt with a big joint with a red slash on it and a Bud Busters hat. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is 94. And I step out and close the door real fast. I'm like, uh, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I want to talk to you about getting marijuana anonymous in the crisis guide. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get this guy away from the front, from the we had a huge bay window. You know, nobody's in rolling joints. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, what do I do? This We're so busted at this guy and knows what's going on. And then the door opens and Jack looks out and he's like, marijuana anonymous. What the hell? And I'm like, oh, God, you know, and Jack walks out and starts talking to this guy. And after about 30 minutes, you know, and, 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 and uh, proselytizing to the guy, and the guy's like, look, I'm not against legalization. I just have a problem with cannabis. You know, I'm a cannabis addict. And, and Jack's like, cannabis addict, you know. And so anyway, long story short, <laughs> that guy ended up volunteering the next day. He helped us build the entire stage in his Bud Buster shirt and his, or his, his oh MA shirt and Bud Buster's hat. Um, and he volunteered and worked the whole entire day. And then about five years and, and became a member of the group. And now he's a blazer, man. Now oh, he's fine. <laughs> every day. And somehow Jack was able to connect with that guy and they became best buds. Right. But yes. Jack yeah. did like the Indica. Jack, Jack had a very high um, tolerance, of course, because he smoked morning, noon and night. Um, he only smoked on two occasions, which is weekdays and weekends. Right. <laughs> uh, he was one of the most intense driven uh people I've ever known actually he was a very complicated guy um yeah Jack was a very good good bro you know you know Jack in 2000 and um I forget exactly when he had his stroke uh but he had a stroke and he could barely talk and that would be the end of it for most people they wouldn't be still on the circuit speaking engagements man if they had a stroke and yeah. lost their ability to vocalize. Jack didn't miss a step. He continued to speak at events and, until he got better and better and better at speaking. The only Hempfest he ever missed until he died was the year that he, which I think was 2010, the year that he had a stroke. Um, mm -hmm. And then he was right back on the circuit. I mean, it would have stopped most 90% of people. There was no stopping Jack, man. Man. You know? well, he was 100% for the cause. I mean, 100% for the message, 100%. You know, he devoted more out of his pocket than, you know, we don't have a present day Jack Hare. You know? No, no, we don't. We We're don't. Profiteers. Yeah. He traveled the country selling his book. He he, he, his he funded pipes. his entire operation by selling the Emperor Wears No Clothes, the, the Bible of the, the the modern hemp and cannabis movement, you know. Um, and, and he gave his life, I believe. I believe that, you know, he died at he died at Hempstock in yeah. Oregon, giving us, you know, on stage, man, speaking, uh, or maybe just, just finished. I think he just finished his speaking. He literally died backstage at an event. Uh, Damn. So, I mean, the guy gave his life for this movement, which is why we can't stop now, and which is why Hempfest can't let the COVID thing stop us. The whole, you know, none of us yeah. can let COVID stop us. We, we got to get the word out, keep going. Because we got to save humanity and we got to get people out of prisons and jails. And we have to. And the other thing is, the other important thing is racial and gender equity. Um, people of color have been disproportionately targeted and per persecuted throughout prohibition. 
I mean, you know, longer than that, but, but especially by prohibition. I think that's yeah. why prohibition came about around the 1930s because it was with the Jim Crow and then they also had the segregation. They're like, you know what? The 13th Amendment has a problem. It freed these people unless we arrest them. In prison and demonize them, right? Yeah. Right. So the people that went to jail and prison for cannabis and the people that have been marginalized with this messaging, they should have equal, if not more opportunity to be involved in the industry. Um, and and yeah. so we need training and placement for people of color in the cannabis industry. And I don't just mean for employment. I mean for management and ownership positions, right? Yeah. And there are people uh, like Rashawn Everett of the Greenwood Project in L.A. doing just that, right? Hmm. Um, and then we also, you know, women are historically in corporate world, they, they hit the glass ceiling, which is where you can only uh, go so high. And then there are these barriers to promotion in this male dominated corporate world. Well, there's the, the grass ceiling in the cannabis industry where it's still a lot of older, you know, dudes, um, white men uh, who control the money, which means they control most of the industry. And so it's, it's just really important that we work and, and to spread awareness and opportunities of gender and racial equity as well as we build a more sustainable movement. And that really you know, connects with the BLM movement and what's going on there. I mean, it's so important uh, uh, to find the alliances uh, with the, the, the young activists today and protest movement um, between cannabis and, and everything else going on. This is a real opportunity for us to, to unite and, and get our messages combined. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, you know, uh, Tom and I talk about all the time how part of the systematic racism is because cannabis – uh, prohibitions based off uh, racist lies. I mean, blatant racist lies blatant in Congress. Lies. But then it came around, like, you know, right around after, well, the, the KKK got very popular, like around 1915 with the birth of nations and all that crap. And so, like, it was it was on that tail end of stuff. And then alcohol prohibition had just been, um, you know, renewed, I guess. Well, alcohol prohibition had just been postponed. So all the G-men were... You can't expect that these these government buffoons to actually go home and get real jobs. And so they just started arresting uh, drug users. And those drug users tended to be black and brown people. And then suddenly the 13th Amendment wouldn't make them free anymore because now we could punish them and put them into a chain gang. And well, then Henry uh, Anslinger had to figure out a way to keep his funding going uh, yep. when all of a sudden prohibition for alcohol ended. And so he 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 dreamed up this idea of, of targeting cannabis and they used racism and yellow journalism. He worked with uh, William Randolph Hearst, who owned, you know, millions of, age, of acres of timber, uh, which they use for newspapers. Um, so they needed to stop hemp and, and Dow Chemical and, and DuPont and all those guys. They had to stop cannabis uh, biofuel. Plastics. And then the American Medical Association was put together partially in the 30s just to combat medical marijuana. Um, no, it's a tremendous it's it is the. It is one of the um, conspiracies of the of the twentieth century, actually. Yes, it's it's our great uh, cancer, America's. You know that blatant. As long as this law exists, prohibition exists. It's the inequality. It's always going to exist. Yep. So crazy. You know, it's 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 a righteous cause, man. And uh, yeah, Vivian, you know, because this being such a righteous cause, being going to hemp fest, man. It's just the the activist world is so huge. You know, you, you when you start off as an activist, you think it's just you and whoever reads High Times, and then you you go to an event and you see the variety of people. You know, just so many <laughs> types. You know, from conservative to uh, far left. I didn't even know that was a, still a thing in cannabis. You know, we had we actually had Tea Party Congressman Dana Rohrabacher, yes, Republican Congressman, speak at Hempfest for three separate years. I was like, wow, I'm on stage with Dana Rohrabacher, a guy I'm the Rohrabacher Fire Fame. I would yes. Vote nice. for it in a million years, but he earned it with the Rohrabacher Fire Amendment, right? You know, we like to say that Hempfest is a demonstration in two ways. It's a demonstration against the cannabis laws. It's also a demonstration of what the cannabis community is capable of, that we can produce a, a, a professional, world class event year after year with nothing going wrong, right? And we don't think it's a mistake that Washington was one of the first states to legalize in the nation, because when you bring 100,000 people down to the park that smoke pot all day, all weekend, nothing goes wrong. You can't deny that that's there. You can't deny all those people are there. Yeah. You can't say that, that, oh, you know, there's not all these people that support pot or it's, it's, it's harmless. We proved it year after year after year. And we believe that we tilled the soil um, here and we connected all these people and helped to create a community in, in you know, Western Washington. Yep. 
um, and, and on the West Coast, right, and kind of define what a protestable can be, right? Because we, we consider handcuffs a protestable. Because you've got to hemp present and you got to raise the temperature, you know, and, and I'm very empathetic to this. I have a lot of empathy, you know, nice. uh, for what we're doing because uh, we're sure. making hempstery. And, uh, and I'm sorry, I couldn't hemp myself, you know, I just, I just had to go there. <laughs> 30 years of hemp puns. Vivian, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about Hemp Fest. Uh, for people who just joined in or joined a little later, where can we go to find, follow, support what you guys got going on at Seattle Hemp Fest? Thank you, Lauren, so much. It's been my honor and my pleasure. Hempfest.org is the place to find out information about Hemp Fest. You can always hit us, of course, on Facebook uh, slash Seattle Hemp Fest or Twitter, um, even though our, our, our social media is a little slow right now this time of the year. Uh, and, and once again, in October 10th and 11th, we'll be at hempfestonline.org. Oh, all right. We'll throw those links in the description. Thanks again for coming on. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thank you.